Hey there, it's Laura and I am so excited. I have something extra timely for you today. Our guest, Sharon McMahon, who many of you know as Sharon says so on Instagram. I know that because when I shared that she was coming on, I got literally hundreds of comments and messages. Uh, she's here and Sharon is this woman who is setting a super powerful and just incredible example for all of us on how to behave and lead both online and offline from this place of integrity and groundedness and humor even when talking about serious things uh, she started in 2020 by sharing clear relevant nonpartisan facts about the u.s government and democracy and it grew and grew and grew and grew and lately she has expanded and is providing grounded and much needed info on current topics like the war in ukraine she has built a big and incredible community and one of the few like healthy sane places on the internet it's truly a joy to be on her account and to receive the content that she posts and it's helpful it's additive it's expansive and she manages the community so incredibly well. More than anything, Sharon is such a clear thinker on why we need to have more spaces in our lives to say these three now radical, magical words, I don't know. And to give ourselves permission to say things like, I need to think about that, or let me get back to you. Or even imagine to not say or post anything at all. Sharon and I sat down on Tuesday afternoon and we're getting this conversation into your hands at top speed. We know there's this real hunger for reliable information in the world now and we love what she's doing. So we wanted you to meet her if you haven't already and take advantage of what she's doing. It's an unedited, fast moving, really fun conversation. One last thing. We can do all of this at Tell Me Something True because we have listeners who are financial supporters. Your support of just 5 or $10 a month allows us to pay Paul, our amazing engineer and sound designer, and to keep TMST ad-free. You can go to tmstpod.com to support the show. All right, Sharon McMahon, let's go. How are you? How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. It's good. It's fun. I've only been following you for, I don't know, maybe six months or something. And it's so fun to see someone's face that you, you know, only see like in your phone or have in mm -hmm. your ears. So I know. Uh, yes. It's wild. Um, I, I was before you got on, I, I said to Michael, I wonder, like her life must have gotten pretty crazy pretty fast. True. Very yeah. true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I have been an entrepreneur for a long time. Yeah. I've been a teacher and an entrepreneur. And so my life as an entrepreneur has always been crazy. Um, so I've always been extremely busy. So that aspect has not uh, changed, but um, the public eye aspect of my life has changed significantly to the point where, right. you know, like dozens of people come up to me at Disneyland now. So really? that is, that's been a big change for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's strange. It used to just when be you... people in my hometown that would come up to me. You know, like I, I don't live in a very big city. So it feels like I know everybody and would talk to 20 people at target, that sort of thing. That's, 
that's been my experience. But when you travel and people notice you, it's like, where where am I now? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, all right. Um, So I want to get people up to speed on your work. Uh, How do you describe, I know you do many things, but how do you describe your podcast and your Instagram account and the intention behind them? Mm. Well, my Instagram account is mostly aimed at providing people nonpartisan fact-based information about things like current event, how current events, how the government works, uh, breaking things down into understandable chunks so that people can have more education on a variety of topics so they can feel more confident when they're consuming the news, confident when they are having conversations with their neighbors. Um, my goal is never to get you to you necessarily agree with a certain viewpoint, but better, but to better understand what components might go into holding that viewpoint. Um, so that's part of what I do online. I'm also a philanthropist. We've also raised and given away millions of dollars uh, in a very short period of time. Um, I also, I mean, I can't leave it unsaid that I have a strong affinity for animals (laughs) and that animals are on my account on a daily basis. I feel like that actually, it's not just for, it's not just because, you know, uh, goats are cute. I do think that that actually serves an important purpose. What what purpose for you? First of all, I feel like no human is meant to live in a constantly heightened state of anxiety and rage. And that's not healthy. It's not normal. It's not how humans have lived uh, throughout the entirety of time. And that is almost what's expected of us from a variety of um, places in the media, places on the web, where this sort of notion that like everything is worth being angry about. You know what I mean? Yes, Um, I do. And that is, and some things are worth being angry about. That's true. That's absolutely true. But some things um, it's okay to not have an opinion on. It's okay to not know enough to form an educated opinion and to say that. It's okay to say, I am leaving my, that open for you know, future exploration. I don't know how I feel about that right now. That is an okay thing to say. And so in order to have that sort of white space in your intellectual development, in your life, um, you need breaks from the, the rage machine that you are apparently expected to take part in. Uh, I disagree with that, but that is the, that's the consensus amongst a lot of other people. And so to me, you know, like if I'm having a conversation with family or friends, I mean, can you imagine if your relationship with a sibling or a parent or a spouse was rage 24-7? That, that's not right. pleasant, right? Of like you not. want out of that relationship. You need, it's normal for humans to have those sort of ebbs and flows and those highs and lows within a relationship and within a human experience. And so to yeah. me, it provides that, that, white space or that green space, depending on how you look at it, um, for the human mind to be able to process things, to be able to have a breather, to be able to just be like, (sighs) there's something else. Yes. It's hard to look at my cats without feeling that there's something else going on. You instantly remember. So I I get it. Mm -hmm. How, what was the realization, or maybe you've had a few that made you undertake this work? Because you didn't have to do this. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was definitely one sort of um, moment that shines brightly in my memory, which is was in September of 2020, as we were running up into the, the heat of the 2020 election. Uh, and it was very contentious, obviously. And I was on Facebook, which I don't recommend and <laughs> don't recommend. But one of my friends, of course, um, had posted something on her feed about how important it was to vote, you know, please consider your options carefully, et cetera. And somebody responded to her in the comments that I, I didn't know that person. Um, but they responded to her with some things that they were pur purporting to be factual and that were absolutely like that, that is not at all how that works. Like and it was something history that, you know, because well, it was about the electoral college. They were uh, they were saying things about the electoral college that were just like, "What are you talking about?" You know what I mean? They were there were things that are just demonstrably, verifiably false about what they were saying about how it functions. There wasn't even an opinion about like if it's good or bad. And right. so I decided in that moment I could either write back to that person who had commented on my friends profile and be like, actually, there is no location that the entire electoral college meets. There's not an electoral college building. They meet in their own state capitals on a given day. You're like, this is me pretending to type. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they meet in their own state capitals on a given day and, they, you know, et cetera. They just had a fundamental misunderstanding of how it worked. So I could have done that. But then I realized that it, it would be like trying to put out a wildfire with one little raindrop. You know what I mean? Like it was not going to ultimately create any kind of sea change. So I decided to just make a little, a little video about how the electoral college works. And I kept it very lighthearted. And I made a point of not even using uh, the real candidates names, mm -hmm. right? Like I made up just like Karen and Susan just made up two candidates um, I used some little props that were like little stuffed animals so that people- <laughs> To bring uh, people's would, defenses That's down. right. It, precisely. Yeah. So that people wouldn't hear the words Trump and Biden and immediately begin to spin into a rage. Yep. Um, and so, I, again, I was hoping to signal that like, listen, I'm not trying to tell you who to vote for. I'm just telling you, you know, if you want to vote for tiny sheep Karen or tiny teddy bear Susan, here's how that would work. You know what I mean? Um, so that was the that was the impetus. That was the moment that I was like, I'll just make some videos. People can repost them if they want to. What did you think was going to happen? Um, what I hoped would happen was my friends that, you know, that I knew on social media would the next time somebody came into their comments saying, well, when they meet in the electoral college building, um, they could just post a link to the video. Right. And that they could say, this is completely nonpartisan. It doesn't tell you who to vote for. It doesn't even name any candidate names. Um, that was my hope was just that my friends would have a tool to be able to repost when they, if they ever needed it. Yeah. And then, and then we know what happened. Well, you could go check out what happened. So I came across this explainer article from the New York Times and the headline said, what is NATO and which countries are members? And uh, you reposted it and said, I'm all for explainers, but the fact that the US readers need this basic level shit is part of the problem. 
And so we have- I said that? No, I'm sorry. You didn't. Someone else did. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. I'm like, (laughs) wait a second. I said that? (laughs) Actually, I don't think I ever cuss on your channel. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm presenting false information right now. A story about true information. Okay. So- we have really lost uh, what I'm trying to illustrate. I'm so glad you corrected me. We've lost a connection <laughs> with this important part of our history. Mm. Like, and, mm-hmm. and that, and that's a loss. Mm-hmm. I think we all know that that's a loss because that knowledge is this connective tissue. Just comment on that. Mm. Well, I mean, the importance of a shared history is something that can't be overstated. That's part of your national identity, right? Is a shared history. It's part of being proud to be an American or part of being proud to be a Canadian or proud to be Italian is your shared history. Otherwise, what what is being American, right? If you don't have a shared history, and I'm commenting from an American perspective, but this is very much true of every, every nation in the world. It's a shared history. And if you don't even know what your history is that you're supposed to be proud of, or the history is that you are supposed to understand that helps you make sense of the world, or what your history is that you're supposed to be like, "Mm, never again. Right. Um, Then that is a, that is a loss, not just to your own intellectual development or your own understanding of the world, but that is a loss to the country. It's a loss to the nation that its own citizens don't understand uh, their shared history, their shared national experience. Why do you think, where do you think this vast disagreement started as far as you can tell? And, and what would you say are the reasons behind it that you see fueling it? Mm. Which disagreement do you mean? Cause there's a couple, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> think, let's say, yeah, good point. Um, I mean, even the, the, the disagreement we could we could talk about the Ukraine and Russia right now. Mm-hmm. What's happening? Why it's happening? What our involvement is? What it should be? How we've contributed? Whether we're let's just do this. Whether we're good, we're on the good side of history or on the bad side of history. Mm. Well, I mean, I think this is a unique uh, experience in that. This is really one of the first um, international conflicts that has awakened the inter- the international community in the way right. that it has, uh, and that is, of course, driven by social media. Right? Of course, there's no way you can claim otherwise. The ability to share information at at lightning speed, to be like, I have this video of this thing happening, and then for that to go viral in moments. Um, obviously, social media is a huge driver of, of that. Additionally, it allows us to seek information from people that we would have never had access to before. Right. So people who are following me, right, are able to get information from me. Whereas maybe, maybe in another lifetime, maybe I would have had a little column in a newspaper. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe, maybe I would have been a public speaker and I'd go to school gymnasiums, or maybe I'd still just be standing in a classroom educating the next generation. I don't know. But my ability to uh, speak to such large audiences would undoubtedly not be what it is today. 
Um, And so because now we have had this democratization of information, uh, and by democratization, I don't mean that all the information you have access to is good or factual or true or real, Um, but nevertheless, you do have equal access to it. There is not that gatekeeper of say a news network or a gatekeeper of a newspaper editor being like, where are the fact checks? Like I need three people to run this down to make sure that this is accurate before we run it. Um, because we don't have that anymore. We have this democratization of information. It allows us to hear a huge variety of, uh, viewpoints, And to some extent, that is wonderful. It gives people who have traditionally been marginalized the ability to share information that they would have been kept from sharing in the past. Um, But it also, you know, with that responsibility or with that access comes a great amount of responsibility, in my opinion. Um, And not everybody agrees and not everybody steps up to the plate to take that responsibility for their own words. Um, they just want to pass the buck on to blaming someone else. So how do you think about, how do you think about guiding people through facts and history and the meaning we assign to them? Because knowing this, having that base of information, knowing, knowing our predilection towards arguing and that there is so much in, you know, disinformation, how do you think about the way, because it seems very, um, very thoughtful and very mm. specific the way that you share information. How do you go about doing it? One of the things that is important to me is to really understand an issue before I talk about it. Um, and to not just, <laughs> and to not, um, just repost information because it sounds right. Um, or not just repost information that I agree with. Um, and if I, can't get my arms around it because I don't understand it, um, then I don't talk about it. And so consequently, there are huge swaths of things that are happening in the world that I don't talk about. For example, um, I rarely, if ever, talk about COVID. Uh, And it's not because COVID is not important. And it's not because people, uh, millions of people around the world haven't died. It's not because it's not a, it's not an issue that I I don't care about. Um, It's because I'm not a scientist and I would rather not share uh, information that, you know, maybe some of it would be right, but some of it could be wrong. And people are then making, potentially making health decisions for themselves uh, that could have life and death consequences that, um, I mistakenly and without malice just mis- shared misinformation. You know, like even if I had no bad intentions, um, those types of things, we're not talking about something of no consequence, right? Like which lip gloss is best. We're talking about things that people yeah. make life and death, de- death decisions about. Right. So there are some things that I just, um, I think it's important to admit what you don't know. To me, I have a very strong ethic to just being, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not a scientist. I don't have any training in epidemiology or statistics or, you know, like I don't even understand how they come up with these numbers. So I'm not going to pretend that I do. Yeah. That's Um, something you've given a lot of people permission to say, by the way, that's a wildly radical thing to say these days. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Everybody feels compelled to know everything and to know things with surety. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like it, you are, your intelligence is, is gauged by how certain you are right? Uh, in the opinion that you hold. How certain are you that your beliefs about COVID are the correct ones, right? How like you, that is. How do you feel so comfortable standing that ground? That might seem like an obvious question to you, but it's not to a lot of people. How do you feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure, or maybe not, you've been pressured to to speak about things that you don't know about. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I get I get phone calls from major news organizations that shall remain unnamed. Um, but I get phone calls regularly asking me to be a guest to talk about certain topics that I turned down, that I turned down, even though I could probably have, you know, 500,000 more followers if I, if I took that opportunity. Um, to me, it's really just about the ethic of what is, um, what legacy do I want to, what kind of digital legacy do I want to leave for myself and for my children? Um, and just being cognizant of the fact that, um, these are very, very important matters that I am not qualified to speak on. Uh, and I do know what I am qualified to speak on. And I also know what I'm not qualified to speak on. And I mean, I would love to, I'm just trying to be the change that I would like to see reflected in the world, right? Like we all just say, I don't know about how to fix cars. You know what I mean? I don't know how to engineer a rocket ship to to the moon. I don't know. Um, Why is it okay for us to say that? Like, I don't expect you, Laura, to know how to engineer a rocket ship to the moon. Like, I don't hold that against you, right? Like, I don't think less of you because you don't know that. Um, I don't think less of you because you are not a nuclear submarine engineer. Like that's it. That's fine. Right. Like, do you think less of me because I don't understand how to do neurosurgery? No, you accept that. I know what I know and you accept that I don't know some things. Right. And this is actually not even in my mind, not a hard concept. (laughs) I know it's a product of people, a cultural moment where people are seen as complicit to problems of society if they aren't speaking about them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. That that I think is where it stems from, and then and then the guilt or f- shame or fear of being a person who's not speaking about important things. That's right, that's right. Why aren't you talking about just to just to use something uh, banal? Why aren't you talking about engineering a rocket ship to the moon? Right. You know, like what kind of what kind of monster are you for not bringing that up? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of just saying, "Well, I don't care about rocket ships to the moon," I just think it's important to say. I do care, but I'm not qualified to talk about rocket ships to the moon because I know nothing about engineering. I can talk to you about the governmental implications of allocating tax money to space programs, (laughs) but that's where my knowledge stops. Right. Yeah. Our desires are at odds because if, if we do act like we know, and we have very strong, often aggravating views, we get a lot of eyeballs. So- Mm -hmm. A hundred percent. And make no mistake, people trade on being divisive and making uh, wild claims and saying things that rile people up. There is oh, yeah. a ton of money to be made. A ton. And when I say trade, I mean, they make money hand over fist at doing that. So often we think like, oh my gosh, so courageous. What a whistleblower. Uh, you know, they, wow, what, what incentive do they have to, mm -mm. the incentive is often money. Right. 
Right. And notoriety and eyeballs and mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So these, these disagreements, they drive us back into these echo chambers where we tend to only encounter people who are like us, but it feels like your work is doing a lot to remind people of the value of a shared space. For me personally, it's one of the most heartening things in the world that people are so happy to be in your space. And it's clear mm -hmm. they don't all agree with each other on a lot of things. Uh, and also you're showing people how to behave in a shared space, which is mm. excellent. What are the qualities of a healthy shared space? Mm. I mean, it absolutely, the foundation of it has to be um, a commitment to not dehumanizing other people. Must that there's no there's no shared space without that, right? Without a commitment to not dehumanize people, um, you have what's happening in Russia and Ukraine right now, right? Like where we you have a, a dictator who's fine with just bombing uh, hospitals, where terminally ill children have to evacuate from. That's that's what it looks like when we don't have a have a commitment to. Um, upholding each other's shared humanity that you are a human of infinite worth and so are so am i and so are our children etc so that is a non-negotiable in my mind that we're not going to get into uh begin stepping off the path onto that sort of dehumanization which begins with things like name calling and it begins with things like um referring to, you know, those people or you guys or all of you, you know, communists right. or all of you, whatever, whatever pick a, the, pick a, pick yeah. a name, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's, those are really the first steps. And most of the time, I mean, this is true about almost all humans. People do not wake up one morning and decide, well, uh, today is the day I am a serial killer. Right, like we don't—they don't wake up one morning and decide that. It—it um, it comes about from a series, often a long series, of small incremental steps in a direction that they don't even realize they are headed until they turn around and realize it's too late. So to me, I would rather have these sort of like bright lines on either side of the runway, of like keep it between these lines. Yep. Um, and between these lines, we can talk, but you're going to start heading off these lines. We're calling the fire department and the police and, you know, like things, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, so those are, that's really the beginning. That's really the foundation in my mind of yeah. how to share space with each other. Have you found, well, it, it, there's a lot of skill and, and required to moderate and sort of nurture that kind of space. And not many people are reaching that high online. They're just not. Uh, you are. How did you build those skills? Mm. Uh, in the classroom. Absolutely. In a, in a high school classroom, um, one of the great pleasures of my life uh, was working at a specific school that I worked at in suburban Washington, D.C. And I'm still very good friends with so many of the people that uh, worked there and continue to work there. And the place that I worked, the city that I worked in, is one of the most diverse places in the country. And so often when people hear the word diversity, they just mean, or in their mind, they think, oh, it's a large number of um, minority groups, right? Or it's just mostly people who speak a certain language. 
when I say diversity, I mean um, over 200 nationalities wow. are represented in this small region. Um, many of them are children of diplomats from other places in the world. Um, I mean, like the the diversity was truly remarkable. And, and I would argue there are f- f- remarkably few places in the world that have that kind of uh, an experience for both teachers and students who attend it. So when you have that incredible diversity of viewpoint in a classroom and in a school, um, it's very eye-opening. I I grew up in a very homogenous place in the world, a place that I love, but a place that uh, was overwhelmingly white and Protestant and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like many Americans had that experience. And I learned so much from uh, realizing that it was my job to create a positive educational environment for every student in that classroom. Um, Regardless of if they literally arrived in America last week, or if uh, their dad was in prison, or if uh, their uncle was the president of Afghanistan, which, right. you know, like that's a real thing. Or if, um, you know, they grew up with a single mom or whatever their life circumstances are. It was my job to create a positive educational environment for all of the students there. And so that is a sort of a North Star for me. Yeah, it shows. Uh, and it's it's remarkable. It's like something, mm. it's, it's very inspiring to me. Our news is mashed up with our entertainment and our social connections on our phone, like it's all jammed in there. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it keeps us so hooked to so much of what's coming through the phone that like jacks up our nervous system, right? So we're just mm-hmm. constantly hooked up into this this fire hose. And we've this developed this tendency to go from zero to like apocalyptic in seconds. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. does that reality, you've talked a little bit about it, but how does that reality play into the way you develop your content? Well, I mean... When I brought up the animal situation, that is part of it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think is actually very important that I don't think is frivolous, that I think is needed and necessary is an element of humor. And I actually really like to laugh. I mostly laugh at myself, make fun of my own self, you know, <laughs> and um, I, my husband likes to tease me that I can just be sitting alone in the room laughing laughing at myself. Oh, you know what I mean? I like, love you. like, what are you doing in there? Like, just thinking about something funny, you know, like, you know, just, I don't know why, but it, that's just a very easy thing for me to do. I have a, a very um, deep well of humor and voices and accents and facial expressions and you things do. that are amusing to me, you know? Um, to me, that is, that's important. That is it. That is important to me. There's this idea, though, that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have humor about serious things. Mm-hmm. That's true, absolutely. And I, I think there's a there's a there's a difference between making fun of things that are serious um, and not taking yourself too seriously. Yes. Right. Thank so you. I would never be like, "Wow, it's so funny." that all of these Ukrainians' homes have been bombed. Wow, look at how funny that is. That's absurd and abhorrent to make fun of somebody else's misfortune. 
Um, but I did recently, I was talking about the news a number of weeks ago. I was putting on my makeup and somebody sent me a DM and was like, ugh, we're not going to have to watch you put your makeup on again, are we? <laughs> and to you, me, that you was just- You definitely don't have to. <laughs> no, yeah, click away. Um, but that just struck me as funny of like that where she literally was like, ugh. And so then I spent the rest of the time talking about the news while exaggeratedly putting on my makeup extremely slowly, like next, you know what I mean? Like, just like put on some blush, you know what I mean? To me, yeah, I'm not making fun of the misfortune of anybody. I'm not, I'm not dehumanizing anybody. It just, I was laughing at the idea that somebody was like, ugh. You know what I mean? Fine, fine. Now we'll just do it extra slow then because you don't yeah. want me to. Here we go. <laughs> like a so, sloth. sloth. That's right. Makeup. So humor is part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Humor breaks down our defenses though. It's like we we know we need it, but we're so, we're so afraid. Mm-hmm. We're so afraid mm-hmm. that uh, of, of doing it wrong and talking wrong and speaking wrong. What do you say about that? The fear of of speaking wrong, saying something wrong, messing up. I mean, that's, I think, where so much of this comes from, wanting to be sure Mm. and wanting to present as sure, is this fear of messing up. Mm. I think it's important that we uh, acknowledge that you will, and it's what you do with it afterwards that uh, indicates your, the level of your character. Um, and I think it actually, that's something that I try to teach explicitly, that when somebody says, I was wrong, that that should actually be celebrated, that we should not be like, oh my gosh, what, they're so inept. What are they even doing over there? Actually, when somebody says, I was wrong, I've changed my mind, I used to think this, and now I think this, here are the reasons why I, I have, uh, you know, change course midstream, we should all be like, thank you. Thank you for carefully considering the facts. And the sooner you can stop being wrong, the sooner you can start being right. I would rather have somebody admit they're wrong and start being right than persist in their wrongness. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Like there's no virtue in persisting in your wrongness. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, People have, one thing you commented on, it's one of my favorite videos of yours, is that people have gotten like addicted to this outrage and confused it with doing something actually meaningful. Mm-hmm. And what do you have to say about that? I think it is something that is, we have to come to the realization that it might feel good to us to be like, you will not believe what Bob said today and post it, post the main video. Bob is the worst. You know what I mean? Like it feels good for about 10 seconds to post about how Bob is the worst. And then your friends are like, yeah, he is the worst. And then you can click and be like, write, and then write 42 question marks. (laughs) Totally. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like we get addicted to that feedback loop. Of um, you saying something and then all of your friends coming in and agreeing with you. And then you feel vindicated and you feel like, yep, Bob is the worst. I was right. See how right I am. Um, That is something that we're very 
we're very into right now as a society is the outrage posting. But when we realize that in what we're doing is actually making the problem worse. We think that we're doing something to improve the situation, but in reality, we're worsening the situation. Because not only does uh, posting Bob is the worst not change anything about Bob, it then creates a ton of negative feelings about you, about Bob, arguing in the comments. So not only does it not solve the problem, it actually throws gasoline onto the fire. We're actually making the problem worse with all of our outrage posting. So if Bob actually is the worst, and I'm just making up the name Bob. (laughs) Sorry, Bob. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Bob. Um, If Bob is actually the worst, then what are you going to do about it? Because uh, guess what? Outrage posting Bob is worse on Instagram is is actually just making Bob worse. Right. <laughs> right. Doing so the thing you're, you're, you're do purporting to, to not want to do. That's right. Yeah. 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 It sure is enticing. I mean, I've fallen into it. You, you, I've seen you on your channel, on your in the comments. People have come with that energy. How mm-hmm. do you manage it? How do you think about that? Because you don't, I haven't seen cases where you've ever shot back at people clapped back. Um, but you do have a way of saying that's not, that's not what we're doing here. You can take that mm-hmm. elsewhere. How mm-hmm. do you, it's, it's very teachery uh, without being judgmental or anything. It's, it's like a, <laughs> this, a fascinating ninja art. How do you think about people that come in with that energy and, mm. and how you, you direct that? Mm. Well, a few things. One is that I have a setting turned on on Instagram Uh, where you cannot do drive-by commenting. So basically, if you are not following me, you cannot participate in the comments. And some people don't like that. And 100% of the people who don't like that are people who want to do drive-by commenting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like they want to just like spray and drive away. So um, that's one thing is that I limit the amount of interaction by asking people basically, like, if you're not willing to commit to following and being part of this community, then you don't get to leave main comments. Um, Secondly, I've been, you know, this is an, this is a teacher ninja trick is that if you can gain the cooperation, the vast majority of your students, they will do all the police work for you. Mm. You, you basically have to do almost nothing. Um, The other students will be like, we don't do that here. The other students will be like, mm-mm, sit down. Isn't that amazing? Um, Self-regulating community. That, that's right. And very often in a classroom, it's, it's actually far more effective for a, a student to be like, we don't do that here. Than it is for the teacher to be like, listen here, young man. Totally. Sit down. You know what I mean? Um, so if you, if you learn how to create that positive learning environment for all of your students um, where they feel welcome and like this is a safe place for them. They will do a lot of that themselves. Um, And then my third line of defense is to make the decision that I don't argue with strangers on the internet. That is not my highest calling or my highest purpose or where I will make the biggest difference in the world. Amen. And I also don't argue with robots. (laughs) 
I have to, you have to understand that a lot of negative comments left online are left by, by trolls and robots. And by trolls, I don't just mean like a person who disagrees with you. I mean, a person who actually like lives in another country and gets paid to do these things. Right. Um, I'm not, I don't argue with robots. That's also not what I'm spending my one wild and precious life doing, <laughs> arguing with robots. Um, so, that sounds like a good reel. <laughs> yeah, it's not what I'm here for. Um, so sometimes I've, I've said this to my students before, that sometimes you have to look at somebody sitting in their giant vat of wrongness and just be like, well, that is your decision. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I cannot you know, go ahead and do that. Yeah. Um, and then there are just some comments that are so disrespectful, they have to be deleted. Right. They just do. Right. Uh, because it's not a safe learning environment. And it is, it's just gasoline on the, it's gasoline on the fire. It's not serving anybody. It's meant to be, um, it's meant to be inflammatory and it does not move the conversation forward. And I delete them. That, I mean, that's, that's my multi-prong approach to dealing with the comment section. I love it. I think because it's, you know, we're not just living in a comment section. This is like everyday life. People do behave differently online, but this is so, I know this is going to be so helpful for people, whether they're online or not. So to to conclude, what's your dream for the, let's just talk about Instagram. What's your dream for this channel and the the impact you want to have in this part of your life? Mm. I really love this uh, sort of governored ethic that I've been working on building for, you know, a little over a year now, um, where people will then take that same energy, those same beliefs, those same um, morals, and use them elsewhere in the world, right? Like, it's not just about patting myself on the back and being like, yeah, you listened that one time I said that. Um, It's about actually hiding those little seeds in your heart and uh, allowing them to grow uh, and then spreading them to other people. So that is really, um, if you want to create change, you have to start with yourself. And because that's really the only thing you can control. And so I'm constantly asking myself, how can I serve in this way? How can I serve this community? How can I serve this issue, this topic, this cause? Um, And so I would just love to see other people continue to pick up that torch and run with it uh, and to see uh, those seeds get planted in other people. I think it's, I think it's working. you've Mm. been hugely inspiring to me, truly. And there are very, very few spaces on the internet where I feel like that. Uh, And you're one of them. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. On behalf of me and everyone that I know in my community is very excited to hear you and have you here. And um, I appreciate you a lot. Mm, That's so kind. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you want more TMST, head on over to tmstpod.com and become a member. Members get access to the full uncut versions of these conversations, previews of upcoming guests, invites to join me for members-only events, and access to our members-only community where I hang out a lot. We decided from the beginning to make this an independent project. We don't have sponsors and we don't run ads. This means that we can make the show all about you and not what our sponsors or advertisers want. 
but it also means we're 100% reliant on your support. So my request and my invitation is simple. Support the show by becoming a member, or you can simply make a one-time donation of as little as $5. I cannot stress this enough. You can make a huge difference for as little as $5. Please head over to tmstpod.com right now. Tell Me Something True is engineered and mixed by Paul Chufo. Michael Elsesser and I dreamed up this show, and we're looking forward to joining you online and next time on Tell Me Something True. Mm-hmm.